Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lineage. It's good to see each and every one of you. It's such an exciting time and an exciting moment to be in the house of God and specifically to be in this house. If you are joining us for the first time this morning, we welcome you. We are so thankful to have you with us. Uh, we hope that you enjoy the service and that God ministers to your heart uh, through this. Uh, today is an important day for us. Uh, we're going to talk about some things today, but before we get to that, we're going to take this morning's offering, just our regular tithe and offering. We're going to bring our special gifts into this house, knowing that the Lord is good, that we could never outgive God. And we, yeah. when we bring our tithes and offerings, we are standing upon the promise that God gave us in Malachi chapter uh, 3, verse 10 and following, when he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, says the Lord. And then he said, test me in this and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you that you won't have room enough to receive. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless this offering, that you would multiply it to meet the needs of this, your house, that you would bless both the gift and the giver, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And you can go ahead and give your tithes and offerings now if you would. Uh, in the meantime, uh, I want to talk to us about what today is. And today is something special called Commitment Sunday. Yeah. And uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to bring our kingdom first commitments and recommit our hearts to the Lord. This yeah. is really a time to refresh our hearts. Many of us were here, most of us were here a year ago when we made our initial commitments to the Lord and we're simply refreshing our hearts before the Lord and refreshing our commitment before Him. And you know, I, I, I want to just underscore that Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, I can't live the Christian life by my own power. Christ has to live it through me. And so when it comes to giving, I'm simply trying to discern what Christ wants to give through me. And so it's always Christ in me, Christ living through me, Christ giving through me, Christ serving through me. At another place, Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I labored more than them all, yet not I but the grace of God that was in me. Paul says, even all of my labor is not me laboring, it's the grace of God laboring through me. And so whenever we come to a place of making a commitment to give or to serve or, or to, to surrender to God in any way, shape, or form, we're simply seeking to discern what it is Christ wants to give through us and then simply being obedient to that impulse of the Spirit of God on the inside of us, being obedient to that impulse. And so that's all we're asking in this moment of commitment that we would simply seek to discern the impulse of the Spirit. And I hope and pray that each and every one of us have been praying and asking God all week long, what is it that God is calling us to commit? What is it that God is calling us to give? If you're joining us just since you weren't here last year when we did the first Kingdom First series and you're joining us in this for the first time, we're inviting you to join us for the next 12 months as we're seeking to close the gap and to move into this place. And we're gonna move in sooner than 12 months. Uh, but what we're going to raise is going to pay off the debt. And, and I want to assure you that we are maximizing every penny, that we have been over this budget, we have scoured it, we've gone through it again and again and again. We've brought on estimators to look through it to make sure that we're getting the right bids. Uh, we've gone through it with our, our, our design build company to make sure that we're doing only what is absolutely necessary. And we're, we've been working really hard behind the scenes to find the middle ground between uh, economy and excellence. We want to make sure that this is very economic, that we're super efficient, that we're not doing anything that's simply outlandish and, and just spending money for money's sake. And at the same time, it's going to be excellent. It's going to be a house that is worthy of his name. And, and we truly believe that we have found that middle ground between economy and excellence. And we've worked really, really hard to get there. Our design build company has worked really, really hard with us, even opening up new bids to new contractors and subcontractors to make sure that we get better deals and make sure that we're doing this right according to plan. And so we believe this is going to be excellent, that God is going to be glorified through this. But bigger than that, that this is going to be a well of salvation in the city of El Cerrito, and many are going to come and drink from it, and souls are going to be saved, and the kingdom of God is going to be enhanced and expanded. And not only that, but the light is going to go forth from this place to the ends of the earth. We're going to see more campuses opening up. We're going to see more church plants. We're going to see souls saved and, and lives changed. We're going to see this neighborhood and neighborhoods around the world where 
wherever we go, wherever this message goes, and you're going to be on the ground floor of it. You're going to be able to look back and say, I was a part of making that happen, that God chose me to be on the ground floor of this thing, to see this thing come to pass, and to partner with him. And I tell you what, I will never forget for the rest of my life the commitment that God privileged me and my family to make. And then he fulfilled it through us. He fulfilled that, that commitment through us. It was not our own power. It was not our own strength, but it was the strength of God. And so just right now, I'm just going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to invite you to make your commitment right now. The, the link to, to make that commitment is, is going to be dropped in the chat in just a moment. And I'm going to invite you to click that link, fill out that card, make your commitment and uh, let's move with God. And so, Father, right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that your spirit would rest heavily upon your sons and daughters right now and that you'd simply speak very clearly to every heart. Lord, we cannot give unless it is given to us to give. Yeah. And we cannot pledge anything more than what is given to us to pledge. And so, Lord, uh, I thank you for the prodding of our hearts that you have in your mind what you wish to do through each and every one of us. I pray that you would give us the faith and the boldness to partner with you now and to say yes to that impulse of the Spirit in our hearts that gives us a faith number that goes beyond the safe number. I thank you, Father, that this will be done because this is your dream and not ours. This is your vision and not ours. And you will fulfill it. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. That link is being dropped in the chat right now. Go ahead and click it and just take a moment and uh, let's make our pledges before the Lord right now or renew our pledges before the Lord right now. And uh, we're going to do this. God is going to do this and he's doing it. We're really excited. Uh, building permits have been approved. We just got the, the, the news that the building permits are approved. Uh, construction's going to start uh, the week after Easter, that week, like literally the day after Easter, a uh, construction should start. And so we're going to move forward with that. And, and uh, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward. God is good. This is moving right along. <laughs> yes. Amen. So soon and very soon, folks, soon and very soon, we're going to be in this place and, and God's going to do a mighty, mighty thing. And people all over the world, I'm, I'm so thankful for the ministry of this house, that people all over the world, I get emails and text messages and Facebook messages and Instagram messages from people all over the world saying, I was listening to this message and, that, and this message spoke to my heart and this message set me free. So the ministry of this house is much bigger than one central location. What we're not after, God is bigger than a building made with hands. Yeah. The building made with hands is, is simply, it's, it's something that God is calling for at this moment, but what it facilitates is bigger than the facility. The ministry that will be facilitated by this facility far surpasses the facility. And so that means that the, the ROI on our investment goes far beyond what we see with our eyes in this place. And I believe even, even in the end when we're with him forever, we're going to be discovering into eternity the fruit of the gifts and the offerings that we give to God this day. And so it's so powerful. I really wish I could have gotten uh, the pastor of uh, Pastor Ichiro, who pastors the Japanese congregation here in this building. I, I want to get, I'm going to get him soon, but he was telling us the story of how they actually built this building. They were a small Japanese congregation. And when they were taking the initial round of pledges to build this building, most of them were very poor. And literally, in order to fulfill their pledges, they were committing themselves to eating only two meals a day. Many of them made a pledge, I'm going to eat two meals a day and I'm going to give the money from my third meal to this building fund. And those kinds of pledges, those kinds of faith gifts, that's how they built this place. Like literally, we have this place right now because of the sacrifices that that generation made yeah. to see to it that there was a place here yeah. where God's, where the gospel of Christ could be proclaimed and the kingdom of God could be made manifest. Yeah. And so now we're telling their story. You know, we're, we're honoring them. We're going to have a service where we honor them and where we bring in some of the older folks who were here in the beginning, yeah. who actually built this, their faith built this building. Their faith provided a place for us. Yeah. And so we're honoring their sacrifice by adding our sacrifice to their sacrifice. And what an honor that I don't have to actually give up a meal, but they, they were willing to give up food in their mouths in order to build this place to honor the Lord. And so we're, we're deeply honored that God, I mean, we cannot take for granted that God gave us this place 
that God brought us into this place. If we had to buy this property, it would have been about six to six to nine million dollars to buy a property such as this. But we received it free of charge. Why? Because of them, because of their sacrifice, because of that handful of older Japanese brothers and sisters in Christ who made a sacrifice and said, we want to see a house for the glory of God. Now it's our turn, folks. Now it's our turn. And that's so power that in the, powerful that in the generation to come, people are going to be telling our story and saying, you know why we're here? Because there was a group of people called Lineage, right? And they were a multi-generational, multi-ethnic community of believers in Jesus Christ, multi-economic. And they, made a, they came together and said, we are going to make a sacrifice to see to it that we build something that will endure for the next generation. That the next generation, they'll be able to tell our story and say, we're here because of their sacrifice. And if I don't make my sacrifice, if I don't make my commitment, I'm not robbing from me. I'm not robbing from us. I'm robbing from the next generation. And that's our vision, that one generation would declare his works to another and tell of all of his marvelous deeds. This is how we tell of his works. This is how we bear witness to the next generation. This is how we provide for them as the last generation, people that we don't even know, that you've never even met, that had no idea that we would even be here. They didn't even know what they were sowing into. They didn't even know that they were sowing a seed for us, that we would reap the benefit of it. And you and I have no clue who we're sowing into. But you know what? God knows. God knows. God has already earmarked your gift, and he knows where it's going. He knows who it's going to benefit, and he knows the souls that are going to be in the kingdom because of the commitment that you made today. Amen? So, Father, bless the commitments that are being made right now. Honor them and fulfill them through us. And especially every deed, every commitment that has been provoked by faith today. Because Father, some commitments are being made today that are pure faith. There's nothing in the natural that would substantiate them. But Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would work a work that would cause the ears of those who hear it to tingle. That would cause us to laugh as Sarah laughed when she heard the prophecy that she, in her old age, would have a son. I pray that you would bless us with the gift of laughter, of Yitzhak, of Isaac. Let there be an Isaac offering that comes forth, that you would fulfill it by your power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. All right. I'm going to read from you. I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture here in Acts chapter 1. Verse 4 through 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This is my actual sermon. That was just the, uh, <laughs> that was the commitment Sunday thing. Now I'm preaching. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This is what it says. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Look at your neighbor say, Wait but to wait for the promise. Look at your neighbor say promise. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has set in his own authority, but you shall receive power. Look at your neighbor say, power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to talk to you today as we're finishing up this Kingdom First Life series, this Kingdom First series coming home. I want to talk to you today about what the Kingdom First Life is all about. You see, the Kingdom First Life is about three exchanges. First, there's the exchange of my will for his will. 
And then secondly, there's the exchange of my righteousness for his righteousness. And then thirdly, there's the exchange of my power for his power. What that actually looks like is the first exchange is the exchange not simply of my will, but the exchange of my error for his will. Because my will is actually in error. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So when I exchange my will for his will, I'm actually, I'm actually exchanging ways that lead to death for ways that lead to life. I don't know it while I'm living in my will. I think my will leads to life. I think my way is the right way. But when I have the awakening that his will is better than my will and his way is better than my way, I exchange my will for his will, my paths of darkness for his paths of light. And then the exchange of my righteousness for his righteousness, what that actually looks like is the exchange of my filthy rags for his white garments. Because what I think is righteousness is actually filthy rags. I think I'm righteous in my own way. I think, I think I'm righteous because I'm moral. And I think here are the things that I would never do. Not realizing that apart from the righteousness of Christ, I'm actually an abomination to God. That, every, that the best I can be is an abomination. That as moral and upright as I could possibly live, I could live according to the highest ethic. And God would look at it and say, you've already sinned and fallen short of my glory. And you can't fix that yourself. And so when I come to Christ, I surrender my righteousness, which is actually filthy rags. And then he clothes me in his righteousness, which is actually white garments. And then when we come to the exchange of my power for his power, what that actually looks like is the exchange of my weakness for his power. Because I think I'm powerful until I get a revelation of his power. And then all of a sudden I realize I don't have power to do anything. And so when I'm actually exchanging my power for his power, I'm actually surrendering my weakness and receiving his power in the place of my weakness. His will in the place of my error, his righteousness in the place of my filth, and his power in the place of my weakness. Now, Jesus actually modeled this for us, actually, when he called his disciples. Let's say he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he sees you know, James and John out in the, the, the boat with their father Zebedee. And he says, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. What he's actually calling them to do is to exchange their will for his will. In other words, he says, you've been a fisher of fish. That's your will. That's your way. Now I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. That's my will. That's my way. And them jumping out of the boat and following Jesus at that very moment was about them surrendering their will in exchange for his will. The thing that you and I need to understand is that the exchange always requires surrender. You don't get his will until you surrender yours. You don't get his righteousness until you surrender yours. You don't get his power until you surrender yours. Surrender is what qualifies you to receive. And so these two components, surrender and reception, no one receives until they surrender. And often the Christian life is about a battle of surrender. We're fighting on the inside of our heart to surrender. We want to cling to our righteousness. We want to cling to our way. And we want to cling to our power because we don't actually realize that our righteousness is filthy rags, that our will leads to death, and that our power is actually weakness. But the more revelation that we get from the Spirit of God, the more we come into the realization that the only path forward is the path of surrender. Right. Now, here's the problem. What I find is that when I talk about the surrender of his will for our, the surrender of our will for his will, that makes sense. And even the surrender of our righteousness for his righteousness, that makes sense, right? So when he calls the disciples, they leave the boat, that means they abandon their will and they assume his will. In the upper room, actually, or the, uh, at the Last Supper, he exchanges his righteousness for their righteousness. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And there at the Last Supper, they exchange their righteousness for his righteousness. And then he goes to the cross and he seals that exchange with his own blood by giving his own life. And three days later... On the third day, he is, uh, he's risen from the dead and he walks with them for 40 days and he talks to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Yeah. 
But then, as he's getting ready to ascend into heaven on the Mount of Olives, on the 40th day, he gives them this command. Now you're going to go wait in Jerusalem for the power. There's already been an exchange of your will, and that's great. And there's already been an exchange of your righteousness for my righteousness, and that's great. But now you need the power. And so he says, don't leave Jerusalem without the power. There's something missing from your spiritual life because there has not yet been an exchange of your power for my power. There's something left, a third thing that is necessary for you to enter into the realm of victory. And that thing that you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to share with you today is that the kingdom first life is lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not just about righteousness, about abstaining from sin. It's not just about exchanging your will for his will, but it's about receiving his power so that you can live victorious over every power of the devil. Because there are powers that are arrayed against you that are designed to destroy your life. But the kingdom first life is not simply a life of surrender. You see, surrender without power is, is, is utter weakness. You've surrendered, you've surrendered everything in your life, but you haven't received any power from God. You're going to walk around feeling like a weakling and a pibsqueak for the rest of your life. And what God does not want is a bunch of religious pibsqueaks inhabiting the earth on his behalf, walking in defeat and calling it humility. That's not what he's looking for. God's desire for each and every one of us is that we would be filled to overflowing with his power. And at the beginning of his ministry, this was already stated, already articulated. And in fact, it was articulated before Jesus ever preached a sermon. It was articulated all the way back in the Jordan River where John was baptizing people. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John said, I am baptizing you with water. The word baptize simply means to immerse. John says, I'm immersing you with water for repentance. Meaning, when you come into my baptism, when I, when I dunk you under the water, it's simply a symbolic act that represents your repentance. People came to John to be baptized in the Jordan River as, a, as an acknowledgement of the fact that I recognize that I have sinned against God. And I want those sins washed off of me. And I want to live a pure life. And so they would come to John confessing their sins. They would confess their sins. They would repent before God. And then he would dunk them under the water. And they would get up and they would feel this sense of cleansing and washing come over them. And they felt like their slate had been cleaned before God. But John says, I'm immersing you in water for repentance. Matthew 3.11. But there's one coming after me who's greater than me because he was before me. He's going to immerse you, baptize you in something greater than water. He's going to immerse you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Right now you're getting water. He's coming to bring fire. The Holy Spirit baptism was promised. That's the first thing that they learned about Jesus before Jesus appeared on the scene was that he was the spirit baptizer. That the telos of your walk with him is not simply about walking away from sin. That's the baptism of John. But the baptism of Jesus is about the Holy Spirit and power. And many of us believers are still living in the baptism of John. All about washing away my sins. I want to get rid of my sins. If I could just let go of my sins. I'm fighting against my sins. I'm resisting my sins. I want God to wash me of my sins. If God would just exchange my filthy rags for his righteousness, I would be happy. And Jesus says, I've got more for you. I've got more for you than the cessation of sin. Not just emptying you out of your sins, but filling you up with power. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says here in Acts chapter 1, there's something you guys forgot that I want to remind you of. Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father, Jesus says. 
John didn't promise you that. The Father promised you that. There's a promise from the Father that goes all the way back to the beginning of my ministry. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra. It's an essential. It's at the very core of what I came to bring you. Don't leave Jerusalem without it. Jesus, when he says to them, don't leave Jerusalem, he's actually exhorting them to make a decision that I'm not going to stop until I get this. Make a decision in your heart that this is not something that you're going to live without. Make a decision in your heart that you're not going to let this become a a drop in the lapis theology that says, well, if God wants me to have it, he'll give it to me. God, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. Whatever you want, God. Whatever you want me to have, nobody receives anything from God with that theology. I'm open. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine walking around like you want to get married? I'm open to marriage. I'm open. Not asking nobody out yet, but I'm open. And never ask anybody on a date, but I'm open. You've got to do something. Don't just be open. You've got to pursue. You've got, and I'm talking to men here. I'm talking to you young, single men in your mid-30s who are just walking around going, when God shows me my wife, I'm open. You've got to do something. Because these young ladies are waiting. And they're not going to wait forever. Some of them are being attracted to unbelievers. Okay, I'm going to move on from there. I'm not, I'm not going to say nothing more about that. You see, the thing about each of these three exchanges is that they are always, 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 always released into your life through a heart cry. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you've got a problem with unrighteousness in your life, you don't just walk around and go, I'm open. If God wants me to be clean, I'll be clean. I'm open. No, you cry out for righteousness. You want the direction of the Lord? You've got to pursue it. You cry out for his will and not your will. That's got to be a heart cry. Not my will, but your will be done. Show me the way I should go. Lead me in paths of righteousness. It's a heart cry. And we know how to cry. There's something intrinsic when you are standing at a crossroads and you don't know which way to go. When you've gotten two job offers that seem equally sweet. And now you've got to cry out to God, God, which is it? I'm standing at a crossroads where you don't know whether to go this way or that way. But something in your heart says, God, I want your will. Whatever it is, I want your will. Is it this one, that one, or another one that I cannot see? I don't care which one it is. I just want to know, what is your will? He said, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And so that exchange of your will for his will is facilitated by a heart cry. And that exchange of your power for his power is facilitated by a heart cry. And so we have to train our hearts to cry out. For that exchange, the exchange of my weakness for his power. God, I'm crying out because, see, this is the thing about the promises of God is they must be claimed. The promises of God are like fruit hanging on a tree. You've got to pick it. They must be claimed. And and sometimes those promises are are high up in the tree. You've got to climb the tree to get them. (laughs) I remember we had plum trees in our backyard. And the plums would be growing. And what would tend to happen is that the ripest plums were up at the top of the tree. And the ones hanging on the bottom sometimes were green. But we could look up and see the red plums way up there in the tree. And so we would start climbing the tree. And one of us would climb up the tree with a bucket and fill it with plums. And then lower it down. and, and, And we had a whole system, but we were not going to let a single plum die on the tree. The worst thing is to come outside and see, see rotten plums on the ground because they were never picked. The promises of God for are ripe. So many promises of God in your life are ripe. You simply haven't been able to, you haven't been willing to climb the tree to get them. And to climb the tree to get them simply means to get on your knees and pray and seek the Lord for yourself. Make a decision for yourself. You see, when we were meeting live a year ago, it's been, I can't believe it's been a year, yeah, yeah. we would have altar calls. Yeah. You want the power of God? Come to the altar. Yeah. 
And there was a, a group of people, we would have Sunday shift, and a, a gathering of us would fill the altar every Sunday morning, and we would cry out to God and pray for 30 minutes that God would fill the altar with his presence. So there were people who actually did that work for you. And then there'd be a worship team that would get on the platform and, and sing in the glory of God. They did that work for you. And then literally, you could come to the front of the room and then go to the back of the room, and you could feel the presence of God stronger at the front of the room than you did at the back of the room. Like it was hot in the front. Like it was, you just feel it. You just feel it. So we started putting intercessors at the back of the room to pray for the presence of God to fill the back of the room the way he filled the front. We wanted to make a, a Holy Spirit sandwich, put you in the middle and just attack you from both sides with the presence and power of God. But in your living room, can nobody come to your living room and do that for you? You got to make your own Holy Spirit sandwich in your living room. You got to ask God yourself. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm not going to this prayer meeting with you. I'm going to heaven. Now it's your turn to pray. Now it's your turn to seek. Now it's your turn to ask. Now it's your turn to knock. And what I'm saying to you today more than anything else is that it's time to cultivate a new heart cry for most of us. A heart cry for the power of God. A heart cry for the fullness of the Spirit of God. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus says to them, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Because the thing that causes us to cease to cry out in our hearts is when we feel like we've cried out and not received. But Jesus says, it's the promise of the Father. It's the promise. You have been promised by the Father the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You have been promised by the Father the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father to you. Jesus says, don't leave till you get it. You've got to get that mindset. I'm not leaving till I get it. I'm not moving until I get it. And I'm not talking about locking yourself in a room and praying for 40 days until some, I'm talking about simply making a decision that every day when I get on my knees to pray, the heart, the cry of my heart is going to be, Lord, I'm not moving until I get it. Yeah. And yes, at a certain point, you got to get up and go to work, get up and go to work. That's fine. But when you come back, come back to that heart cry and ask God, cultivate that heart cry in me. Lord, fill me to overflowing with the presence and power of God. Listen, the next leg of the journey is going to require a greater outpouring of the power of God than you have ever known before in your life. And we are living in a time of great powerlessness in which you were looking at all of us. I don't care what your political persuasion is. I don't even care what your religious persuasion is. We are living in a day and time in which powerlessness is the order of the day. Every time you open up your computer or turning on the TV, you're seeing things that cause you to feel powerless. You know, as we've been talking about what's been happening with Asians in our, in our country and, and anti-Asian hate speech and anti-Asian hate crimes that's happening in our country. And I've been watching my wife over the last few weeks and I see, sometimes I walk in and I see the anger in her face and the tears in her eyes. And, and I see in her eyes what she's saying, what her eyes are saying and her tears are saying is, I want to do something. If there was something I could do I would do it. But the frustration is the sense of powerlessness. There's nothing I can do. And so what do we do? We speak out. And we speak and we use our voices. And that's something. We give. And we're going to find more ways to be active and to be involved and to be part of the solution and not just part of the problem. and And to make it clear that if there was a 1,900% increase in hate crimes against any people group, we would call it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we would say, this is wrong, and this is racism, and this has to stop. Whether it was white or black or Asian, and so we have to speak out right now and say, this is wrong, and this has to stop, and that we've got to rise up against this, and we've got to find a way to put a stop to the hate and to the violence that's happening to our Asian brothers and sisters in this country. It's got to stop. Understand that when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to a persecuted people group in the midst of an empire. A persecuted people group. Do you know when Jesus said 
if someone asked you to carry his bag for a mile, carry it for two miles, do you know the background to that? Roman soldiers, Rome was occupying Israel during that time. And a Roman soldier had the right to walk up to any Jewish person and command you to carry his bag for a mile. But he had to stop at a mile and take his bag back. Literally, you could be in the middle of your day on your way to an appointment and a Roman soldier could stop you and say, carry my bag for a mile. And you had to stop what you were doing, even leave your children and take that Roman soldier's bag and carry it for a mile. He was literally talking to a persecuted people in the midst of an empire and he spoke to them in a way that gave them the key to taking power back in the midst of powerlessness. Watch this. Jesus says, if he tells you to carry his bag for a mile, carry it for two miles. How is that taking your power back? The first mile, he's in control. Now he gets to the end of the first mile and he goes, all right, I'll take my bag back. You know, no, no, I got it. I got some time on my hands. I'm going to carry it for you another mile. And now he's nervous the whole time. Is he going to report me to my commander and say, I made him carry it two miles? Why is he doing this? And now all of a sudden, who's in charge? Who's in control? The one who is serving sacrificially. No, I, I got it. I'll go with you another mile. How far are we going? Let's go. And now all of a sudden, you went from the victim to the victor. Now all of a sudden, you've come back into a place of power. What am I saying to you? Is that everything Jesus says to his disciples, he speaks to a persecuted people in the middle of an empire. A persecuted people in the midst of empire. And his words, everything that he said, from the Sermon on the Mount to the Sermon on the Plain, everything he said was designed to give them power in the midst of powerlessness. To give them hope in the midst of hopelessness. But they had in the back of their mind that the end of this was going to be the overthrow of the Roman Empire and Jesus was going to establish his kingdom and he was going to establish his government. And he says to his disciples on this last day, Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which you've heard of me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He literally says, not many days the promise is coming. And how do they respond? But Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? At this time, are you going to overthrow the Republicans? Are you going to overthrow the Democrats and establish your government? At this time, are you going to cleanse the Supreme Court? Are you going to cleanse the courts? Are you going to, at this time, are you going to establish your kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. That's not my answer. My solution is not a political solution. It, it, it will be one day. The kingdom of our God, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. Make no mistake, God is coming to take over all of the governments of this world. He is coming to set right everything that has gone wrong in this world. Our God reigns and his kingdom reigns over all. And there is no injustice that at the ultimate, ultimately will not be overthrown and judged by God. But that's not for you to know. Those times and seasons are not for you to know. And I could see them going, well, then, Lord, what is it for us to know? Jesus says, you shall receive power. Let me tell you what it is for you to know. The power. The power of the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power in the midst of powerlessness. You shall receive power in the midst of powerlessness. At the very place where you feel frustrated. At the very place where you feel empty. At the very place where you feel like you have no strength. You're going to rise up in power. But the power is not going to come from a political solution. The power is not going to come from a politician. The power is not going to come from legislation. It's going to come from the Holy Spirit who's going to come on the inside of you and fill you to overflowing and overtake that powerless person on the inside of you and replace it with a powerful person. You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you know what's crazy? 
What happens after he ascends into heaven is they go down into Jerusalem, they lock themselves in an upper room, and they pray there for 10 days. And at the end of that 10-day period, the scripture says, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were assembled together. And cloven tongues as a fire separated and rested above each head, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I don't have time to unpack all of that, and if that didn't make sense to you. Uh, don't worry about it. It just means God came and he filled them up with his power and with his glory. And that moment was so transformative that when a crowd gathers outside of thousands of people to try to figure out what in tarnations is going on in that room, the scripture says, Peter arose, arose. He stood up and he goes to the window and he addresses this crowd. And he preaches so convincingly and so powerfully that 3,000 people respond to his message, commit their lives to Jesus Christ, and are baptized that day. Wow. Now, that might, you know, we know Peter, he's like one of the authors of the New Testament, you know, wrote First, Second, first and Second Peter, and, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the preeminent apostle in the book of Acts. And, you know, we know him from this side. What we don't realize is that until that moment, he wasn't powerful Peter. Until that moment, he was sorry, Simon. He, that moment when the Holy Spirit came, he was actually transformed from sorry, Simon, to powerful Peter. You don't realize that just a few days ago or just a few weeks ago when Jesus was in Gethsemane and they came to take him away and, and they came to, to crucify him, when they came to the garden to take him away, Peter took out his sword like he was so bold and he sees the soldiers and he said, no, forget that. And he turned to the servant, the slave, and cut off an unarmed slave's ear. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Simon. Yes. Just a punk. A coward. And then what does he do? Jesus is crucified. Is he there? No, he runs off and gets in his boat and goes fishing. He's scared. How is it that that guy, sorry Simon, is now standing boldly? And for the rest of the book of Acts, he's standing boldly. Before the Sanhedrin, he's standing boldly. And even all the way to the end, to his own execution and death, he's standing boldly. How did sorry Simon become powerful Peter who stands boldly? The only difference was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, listen, some of you are crying out to God to change stuff in your life that needs nothing more than an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Stuff that will change in a moment when the Holy Spirit comes in. When there's, and I'm not talking about the indwelling. If you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Yeah. I'm talking about the infilling. I'm talking about the overflow. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the bubble up and overflow. Listen, if, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit who dwells in you explodes from the inside of you. When there's this bull run of the power of the Holy Spirit. When all of a sudden the power of the Holy Spirit goes parabolic on the inside of you. And he fills you and explodes through you. And he's coming out of your nostrils and your mouth and your ears. And, all of, and, and listen, a lot of people are afraid of the Holy Spirit because you're afraid of losing control. May I say to you that the fruit of the Spirit spirit is self-control. You are never so fully in control of yourself as you are when you are full of the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you're out of control and you don't know it. It feels like control, but you're actually out of control. You're actually out of order. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to take away your control. He comes to restore your control. He comes to fill you with power and self-determination, but it is a, a sanctified self-determination so that now you're living by the will of God and you're living through the righteousness of Christ and now in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Amen. I used to, we used to sing this song when I was growing up in church. It said, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors and sets captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. And I'm telling you, that's what God has in store for you, is a river of life flowing out of you. Instead of feeling like every day you've got to fight the same battles and make no progress. Every day you feel like Prometheus, where you got to roll the rock up to the top of the hill, and then it rolls down the other side, and then you got to chase it and roll it back up to the top of the hill, and then it rolls down the other side. God wants to take you out of that rat race. He wants to take you out of that vicious cycle. He wants to lift you up above it and bring you to a place of victory 
and a place of power, and he has that power waiting for you. Matter of fact, he has promised you that power. It is your inheritance. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. He has promised you, and no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You and I simply have to make a decision that I'm not going to leave that fruit on the tree any longer. I'm going to pick that fruit. I'm going to lay claim to my inheritance from God. I want more than surrender. I want to receive power. But this is the beautiful thing. God always qualifies us to receive by calling us to surrender. At every place at which God gives it to me to surrender, he's qualifying me for a new level of reception. Surrendering to God. Surrendering to God. That's what opens the door to receive from God. And so I want to invite you this morning to pray a a very simple prayer. And I pray that through this very simple prayer, God would awaken your heart and mind to a new heart cry. And that this heart cry would survive the week, the month, the year. That it would not be a temporary, momentary thing. But at that, it would be a continual, perpetual, and ever-increasing cry of your heart. God, I need more. More of the Holy Spirit. More of your power. More of your glory. More of your kingdom living in me. The kingdom-first life is the spirit-filled life. It is life that is lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. D.L. Moody talked about his baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he said up until that moment, he felt like he had to drag jugs of water with him everywhere in order to drink. He said, but at that moment when the filling of the Holy Spirit came, he said, from that moment, it felt like a river picked me up and carried me. Now I feel carried by the river of God's power. There's a river. Listen, some of you feel like D.L. Moody, where you're dragging around these jugs of water just to stay just barely hydrated. Some of you are barely hydrated and some of you are so dehydrated you haven't drank the water of the Spirit of God in so long. I know I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're not yet a Christian and you're watching us, if you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. I want you to know Jesus loves you too and he's here for you and his, his arms are open and, and this actually applies to you too because you're, you're even more dehydrated because you haven't even tasted of that water of life. You haven't even drank from that water of life but I want you to know that Jesus has it for you in a abundance. And it's not something you have to wait 10 years of being a Christian before you get it. You can get it on day one. You can receive today the will of God. You can receive the righteousness of God and you can receive the power of God right now today. But it's something that we continually grow into. It's something that we continually increase in. If the cry of our heart continually opens up, increases. And so I just want to invite you to pray this very simple prayer. This very simple prayer. And I pray that through this simple prayer, God would release a new cry in your heart that would continue to increase, that would drive you to your knees, that would wake you up in the morning. I'll never forget when that cry overtook me when I was 12 years old. And I spent an entire summer running to the prayer chapel every day, crying out to God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, I want the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you are worried about the speaking in tongues piece. Forget about tongues. Ask for the Spirit, not tongues. And allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever He wants to do when He comes in and fills you. It's not about tongues. If you're hung out up on tongues, forget tongues. Seek the Spirit. Ask God for a greater fullness. And at the end of that summer, as I cried out to God every day, He visited me in my room late in the midnight hour. He filled me so thoroughly and overwhelmingly with his Holy Spirit. My life has never been the same again from that day till this. Does it mean that I've never struggled? Nope. I have had deep and intense and abiding struggles. Does it mean that I never failed? Nope. I've had deep, intense and abiding failures. But it simply means that regardless of what I struggled with, and even regardless of my failures, there was a power to pick me up again. There was a power to lift me up again, to lift me out of every, every pit, to set me on high. And at the end of the day, even our ability to walk according to his will and to walk in his righteousness is facilitated by the reception of his divine power that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And so I just want you to pray this simple prayer.
And I'm asking everyone whose heart is open to pray this prayer. Just say, Father, I come to you to exchange my will for your will. My righteousness for your righteousness. And my power for your power. I want to live the kingdom first life. But I can't live it by my own strength. I've been living by my own strength for too long. Now it's time to receive your power through the Holy Spirit. And so I open my heart and I cry out to you, Holy Spirit, make me your temple. Make me your vessel. Be pleased to fill me to overflowing, to fullness, even beyond fullness. And teach me to live the Spirit-filled life in ever-increasing measure. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, Father, I speak over each and every one of these sons and daughters of yours who prayed this prayer today. And I pray that you would awaken within every heart a desperate cry for more of you, for a greater fullness of the Holy Spirit. God, we need a baptism of burning love. There must be a baptism of burning love. There must be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Father, remove every hindrance. Father, I pray that you would invade every home right now with a baptism of burning love. God, let it go all the way down to the children, God. A baptism of burning love, God. Let it be like liquid love, God, that just washes over us, God, that just fills us to overflowing, God, right now in Jesus' name. Let it not simply be an external experience, God, but let it be an internal fullness, God. Come in, come in and fill us to overflowing. Holy Spirit, we need you more than ever before. And God, our young people need a baptism of burning love right now, God. Our high school students, God, our junior high students, God, our elementary school students, God, all the way down to our infants, God. God. We need a baptism of burning love. Parents, just put your hands on your children right now and pray for a baptism of burning love. Holy Spirit, let it come right now, God. Fill to overflowing, God. Go into every home, God. Go into every household, God. Go into every household, God, and fill. Bring the promise of the Father in Jesus' mighty name. Do it right now by your spirit and by your power and by your love. In Jesus' precious holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen and amen and amen and amen. God, we believe you for the promise of God, that promise of the Father. We give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.